Are you a parent in business that wants to learn digital marketing the right way? So you've got an amazing business and you want to shout it from the rooftops. You want everyone to know about it and you want to generate consistent revenue. You love the idea of your business working for you whilst you are busy making memories with your family. The one thing stopping you is digital marketing. From SEO to blogging, from creating your own digital courses to creating podcasts that parents will love. My Bumped Baby has the solution. We have launched our Digital Marketing Academy and it is designed for parent-focused business owners to grow and scale their business with ease. Our academy can be accessed from anywhere on any device, which means as a busy parent in business, you can learn on the go with our bite-sized straight-to-the-point videos. Join us today by visiting the link below and have seven-day free trial on us to see if the area is right for you. Click the link under this podcast to start benefiting today and access our training right away. We look forward to seeing you in there and teaching you everything you need to know about digital marketing for parent-focused businesses. This podcast is sponsored by My Bump to Baby Family Protection and Legal Directory. To find your nearest advisor or family law solicitor, head over to www.mybumptobaby.com forward slash family protection legal. Do you love the idea of being your own boss? What about saving money on childcare because you can actually work flexibly around your family? My Bump to Baby is rapidly expanding and we are looking for people to run their own pregnancy to preschool hubs in their local area. Full training is provided, ongoing mentor support, fantastic regular team incentives, a bonus scheme, uncapped commission, review products for free and review days out too. If you are interested in being the My Bump to Baby Manager for your local area, email us business at mybumptobaby.com. Limited space available. Hello and welcome to My Bump to Baby Expert Podcast, where we bring experts from all over the UK to answer your questions on everything pregnancy to preschool. Hello everybody and welcome to My Bumped Baby Expert Podcast. Today I am speaking to Nadine Modal from Mancini Legal Solicitors in Horsham. Today we're going to be talking about divorce and finances after divorce too. I hope you enjoy this episode.
Hello everybody and welcome to my Bumped Baby Expert podcast. Today I am joined by Nadine Modell from Mancini Legal Solicitors in Horsham. Hello, how are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. Um, Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm really excited to speak to you on this subject. Today we're going to be talking about finances on divorce, which is a subject I think a lot of people delve into before they're at the stages of kind of looking into divorce. Um, So I'm looking forward to speaking to you about this. Um, Can you just introduce yourself and what you do at Mancini Law, if that's okay? Yes, so I'm the head of family at Mancini Legal. Um, I deal with family law, so all areas in regards to children, finances, divorce. I'm also a director, so dealing with sort of HR management, etc., um, which is really interesting, and it's a new role for me, which I've I've been really enjoying. So, yes, yeah, very varied. That is brilliant. So, so with the divorce side of things, do you find um, that you get a lot of questions before people end up going for the divorce? Is it? Do you get a lot of calls around, you know, all the different circumstances around finances? Yes. Yeah, so, a lot of inquiries I get, um, people are sort of unsure whether they want to go ahead with the divorce. They're very much at the inquiry stage. Um, sometimes they sort of look online beforehand and they seem to have answers and whilst it's good to google things sometimes it can be misleading because Mm. you know the authority is not as um yes watertight as we would like so um I'd always say even if you're thinking and contemplating a divorce it's a good idea to speak with a family lawyer um yes it's good to speak with family and friends um, but their experience is going to be very different to yours um so yeah that's what I'd recommend. Okay brilliant so if someone was thinking of leaving their spouse how do they go about getting a divorce because a lot of people it'll be a first time thing and they've got children and you know they're at this crossroads in their life and they're thinking right how do I get how do I actually get a divorce? Mm -hmm. So often I would I would encourage um the the individual to speak with their partner first so it's not going to come as a shock so that's often the hardest part just to see whether there's any way to rekindle anything try maybe counseling um but if they've sort of set their minds on it they know they want to go through the process um now you can do it online so you need to find the right right ground to petition under and at the moment no fault divorce is going to be brought into law next April so for the time being unless you've been separated for more than two years you have to use a fault-based ground so the most commonly used one is unreasonable behavior so if you've been separated from your partner for less than two years for example and you want to go through the process then you'd have to use that and, and give the court some examples of what you find to be unreasonable so that's how you get the process that, started. That makes sense. I imagine that can cause can cause some disagreements as well, can't it? Because it can be quite hard to read that for the other person. Um, yes. So, so with um, a divorce, do you have to go to court or not? So, for the divorce process itself, provided it's uh, not contentious and the other party agrees you can agree on costs, then no, you don't need to go to court. It's all paper-based. It's all dealt with by the judge sitting in chambers. um, And basically they they receive loads of applications on a daily basis. 
all they need to be satisfied with is obviously that you're entitled to get a divorce. Um, and if so, then um, so the, the process of divorce is the petitioner applies for the divorce, then your spouse would need to respond to that divorce to say basically they um, have no issue with it. They don't intend to defend the proceedings. And then the petitioner would apply for the decree NISI, which is the hearing that you hear about in the media. So that's when they refer to you can achieve a quickie divorce. So when you hear someone got divorced, that's actually very misleading. It's basically for the court to say you're entitled to a divorce. That's the decree NISI hearing, after which you have to wait six weeks and a day before you can apply for the final stage, which is the absolute. But the short answer is no, you don't have to go to court. Right. Okay. So, would if if someone disagreed and you know didn't want to get a divorce, is that when it gets a little bit more kind of uh, longer? I suppose um, the actual divorce proceedings. Well, yes. Uh, what most people tend to do is they try to ignore the petition, and they think that that's going to achieve um, what what they want, and it's going to delay proceedings. But there are ways and means around it. So you need to make an extra application, which is extra fees invariably. But there are ways around it. If they specifically intend to defend the divorce, they'll need to have grounds to do so, in which case a hearing will be listed. But I have to say, in in my experience, that's never happened before. It's more often than not they try and pretend to they haven't received it or they ignore it, in which case you can, as I say, make other applications to overcome that yeah that makes sense so so you mentioned unreasonable behavior what what other grounds are there for divorce so you have unreasonable behavior you have uh, desertion and adultery as well and then you have two years separation with consent those are the no no fault based um, grounds and then five years separation without consent and um, as I say, unreasonable behaviour seems to be the most commonly cited one, um, just because most people haven't been separated for two years before they decide they want to start the process. That makes sense. So so what does unreasonable unre- behaviour mean? Because it's quite a broad statement, isn't it, really? Yes. Can it mean what what does it mean? It's very individual to you. So if you feel that the behaviour of your spouse has led to the breakdown of the marriage, it's whatever you consider to be unreasonable. So something like they've been working long hours, um, they don't come home or um, there's been a lack of love and affection, they don't want to communicate, even if they snore too loudly and you can't oh, sleep wow. in the bedroom, that's led to, you know, uh, yeah. in that department. It's, it's literally what's personal to you. So as long as you can show adequate reasoning, um, the court's going to accept it. Um, what you need to be careful with is that you don't uh, draft it in too non-contentious of a way. So by, by meaning that you need to show the court there's good enough reason. It's not just going to be something ridiculous. Uh, they have to be satisfied. There has actually been behaviour which is not reasonable. That makes sense. So so how much does a divorce actually cost then? Because I know a lot of people think, oh, goodness, like it's going to be thousands and a lot of money how much does it cost so there's a divorce fee which is currently 550 pounds um if you choose to do it yourself again that's the same fee that you'd pay you don't necessarily need a solicitor to help you with 
the divorce side. Um, if you do decide to engage a solicitor, they'll charge their own fees. Um, we charge a sort of a fixed fee package. So um, we, we often do that. So it's about £750 plus VAT at the moment, which is quite competitive. Yeah. And that's, again, on the basis that it's not challenged and the other party consents to it and, and the divorce can sort of carry on through the normal process. Um, obviously, if there's if there's issues with service or they're not responding to the petition then the fees will be slightly higher yeah that makes sense and what are the benefits of choosing to go with a family law solicitor rather than doing it yourself so one of the main main sort of advantages is that you avoid delay to the process so you know that the court is going to accept the petition um, and again make sure that the grounds of behavior that if you're using unreasonable behavior that is presented in a correct way to the court. There's also um, protocol that you need to follow. So it's always advisable to show your spouse a copy of the petition before you file it, at least to give them the heads up and say, by the way, these are the reasons I'm going to put down. It's always a good idea to try and agree them beforehand as well. So then it's not going to be a surprise to them, which will get their back up. Um, so it's just sort of that sort of basic process that you would probably not appreciate. Um, and again, if there's issues with service or um, if the divorce is defended, then that's something that a solicitor can help you with. Um, and probably one of the most important ones is making sure that the decree absolute isn't applied for, which is obviously what we would do um, until the finances have been resolved. So right. Yeah, it just it makes sense. If you're going in um, to this blind, I think, you know, it's it's going to be much better having someone there by your side talking you through the whole process because mm-hmm. it seems quite a daunting experience. Um, yes. So so with in terms of finances now, um, who would get the house if you did get a divorce? How does that actually work? So that, that is one of the most uh, common questions that I am asked. Funny mm-hmm. enough. Um, so really, the, the way that um, the courts approach it is they rely on something called the Section 25 factors. And they, under the Matrimonial Causes Act, so they'll look at um, several factors such as the children of the family. So who are the children going to continue living with? What the needs are of each party what their earning um, potentials are etc health there's so many factors but you know the short answer is it depends on what you agree with your spouse so you can either reach an agreement um, amongst uh, yourselves it's often called a sort of a kitchen table discussion where you can reach an agreement you'd then go to a solicitor and say okay how does this agreement weigh up is it fair is it reasonable um, in which case, then you should both provide basic financial disclosure just to make sure that um, it's it's balanced and, and proportionate. So most cases I deal with are needs-based cases. So if there is enough need, um, if there's enough sort of money to go around to, for example, for the, the wife to stay living at the home with the children, then often that is agreed. Um, there's no right or wrong answer, to be honest. It's, it's basically predicated on needs, and that's the main thing the courts will look at, what is fair um, and what each party needs moving forwards. And then they reach an agreement um, from yes. there. Right, okay. So in terms of the house then, before it gets to the divorce, obviously 
you're not together. So who should be staying in the house while the divorce is going through? Because what if you've got two people with children and both won't leave the house? Well, unfortunately, there's not a lot you can do to force someone to, to leave. Um, and more often than not, parties will continue living together whilst they're going through this process which can be very awkward yeah as you can imagine especially if it's contentious or there are financial proceedings or even children proceedings um so sometimes a party will move out um and they'll rent somewhere in the interim whilst um, matters are, are being resolved um but I say this to to my clients all the time even if they do move out for short term or long term they can return to the family home at any time provided they're on the deeds of the property because if they own the home there's nothing to stop them returning they often worry and say well what if the the locks are changed then what you know I'm stopped from coming back home but the fact is if you own that property you've got every right to return um there if there's issues to do with domestic violence for example um and in the in the interim you want your spouse to leave the, the property and they refuse to do so there are orders that you can obtain from the court um, again they're not guaranteed these occupation orders can be difficult to obtain but there are ways and means around it right okay that's really good to know so so on to the children then um after a divorce who actually it sounds wrong putting it like this but who gets the children in a divorce or how does that work So I always encourage clients to understand that children matters should always be regarded as separate to financial arrangements, i.e. you don't want to to mix the two. I know that, um, you know, whoever whoever has the children would arguably have a greater need, but more often than not, parties reach an agreement amongst themselves. They agree to split time um, however they see fit, what's in the best interest of the children, and you don't normally need to record that formally. Um, they can reach their own agreement. Um, if they can't agree and if mediation fails, um, mediation is where they go to a, a neutral third party. They try and uh, reach an agreement as to what would work for them and the, the child or children. If that fails, then court proceedings um, become inevitable. And then obviously the court will make a decision on that basis. Um, but again, it's always predicated on what is in the best interest of the child um, rather than what the parents specifically want. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And and just on, on with the children as well, another um, subject, um, grandparents, do they have a right to see their children? So say, for example, people got a divorce, two people got a divorce, the dad wasn't bothered or the mum wasn't bothered about seeing the children. What about the grandparents um, on that side? Are they entitled to see those children or not? Well, with grandparents, it's slightly trickier. So they don't have a automatic right to see their grandchildren. Um, and if, if the the other parent refused to facilitate contact um, and again they, they didn't want to um, be reasonable then a grandparent could make an application to the court um, they would need to do so they'd need to um, apply for permission um, to basically make the application so it's not just a straightforward c100 as a, as a parent would do they'd have to file an additional form the c2 which is again permission to apply um, for contact and it is a real shame, and I think it's that's sad. an area of law that does need to catch up with reality. Um, because again, grandparents, a lot of the time, they do act as uh, surrogate parents when when 
you know parents are working mm. they do you know they are valuable um in in that sort of family constellation Mm, it's very sad really because yeah like you said a lot of these grandparents you know may have had these children a lot of the time when the parents are working and it's like Mm. you know someone out of spite could just literally shut the door and be like no not seeing you're not seeing them anymore so it is really sad because you know they really I I don't know about anyone else's grandparents but my little boy's grandparents just love seeing him all the time and they'd be heartbroken you know it just is very sad um but that's good that there is something in place that they can apply for but yeah I understand what you mean as in catching up wise um yeah so so um what divorce settlement will each party be entitled to and how are finances split I know before you mentioned it's based on on the scenarios that they've they've both got is that is that with everyone then is it all individual so it's, it's a very difficult question to sort of answer succinctly, and I apologise if I sort of go around the subject a bit, but the first factor that the court look at is what is fair, what is reasonable, and what's balanced. The majority of cases are needs-based cases, which means that the total assets that each party has, minus any liabilities, um, it's generally not enough to meet the needs of both parties I mean you're, you're basically going from two two adult household with two lots of incomes to splitting that in half and trying to make that work um, so really that the first factor is making sure that the needs of the children are covered they're the first consideration they're not the primary consideration but again that's what the courts will um, view um, and, and the, the most important thing is that um, there is a full disclosure of financial assets. That is a predication. No matter how you reach an agreement, um, if you don't disclose your assets fully and at a later stage it, it's uncovered that you, you didn't do so, then that can invalidate the whole agreement. So oh, goodness. that's what people don't realise. And if they think, OK, well, I don't think my pension pot should be included as part of this because I'm, I got it before the marriage. Again, I'll say in the majority of cases, Everything goes in the pot, pensions, um, family, home, sort of the uh, funds from that, any bank accounts, etc. So more often than not, you, you need to include everything within that financial settlement unless there is an agreement uh, as to the contrary. Right. That that makes sense. So so with um, people that sorry, I'm going to throw you off subject a little bit here now. Um, but with people that aren't married, um how how does it work is that a totally different ball game to what we've discussed um mm-hmm, yeah exactly right and that's- again that's that's another area that um the resolution is i'm a member of that uh sort of society where by we're solicitors and we try and deal with um cases in the most um non-contentious way but they've been petitioning for years now for rights to have cohabitees because there is this presumption of common law marriage so if you've got a child with someone if you've been with someone for a certain amount of time you'll then get rights um, and to finances when you separate which is just not the case you're so vulnerable as a cohabitee even if you've got children together even if you own property together um, even if you share your finances and you've been together for a number of years so it's important for people to realize that and um, to sort of sort their finances out accordingly Right. 
that makes sense. No, I think you've you've answered everything there. It was really interesting because I think a lot of people, it might be the first time they're actually going through this and it's quite a daunting subject, really. Yes, it can be. And it, it is um, being a family lawyer, I do joke sometimes I feel like a, a counsellor at times and a lawyer and all those other things and all those other roles because it's it's difficult to separate the emotions sometimes from the the practical side and, and what I tell clients all the time is you need to sometimes you know take each day as it comes it, it can be very overwhelming sometimes a process feels like it's going on forever it can last for longer than a year if you can't agree with finances so unless you take that stepped approach you, you basically won't be able to cope with it so it's just recognizing that and that's why it's important to have a solicitor by your side who understands that who can explain the process um, and break it down make it more manageable can I just ask one more question that's popped into my head actually if if your divorce say does take a year what happens if either party while that's going through has moved on and they're in a new relationship does that affect the divorce oh sadly it happened I say sadly it's not sad you know people are entitled to start new relationships but they you know parties often do enter into new relationships sometimes they can even get a divorce and then get remarried during that process before they've even dealt with the finances. Oh my goodness. The first marriage. So that can often complicate things, um, especially if there is a remarriage. Where there's a cohabitation, um, there is a section on Form E, which is the, the disclosure form um, where you need to disclose all your finances, whether there's a requirement to provide your new partner's information on there. But in all honesty, in the majority of cases, that, that party won't disclose the information because they say, well, this is a new relationship. We're not engaged. We're not married. So therefore, I'm not compelled to, to give that information. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it yeah. can be contentious. So it's, it's not one of those things that you would actively pursue unless they've remarried and then you have to consider their new spouse's um, finances and their information. Mm. And of course, there's um, after that, just briefly, obviously, when you're thinking about divorce, you also need to then think about your will as well, because a lot of people have life insurance policies and, you know, you will, you know, once you've done that, it, you know, you, you're married. But then if your will still stands and you're not married, is that do you, do you talk to people about getting a new will straight after? Yes, yeah, straight after the divorce, because right. divorce does affect um your your will um again because you'd want to you'd want to change your will as soon as you get a divorce because you um you may have referred to you know most most people ref- want to do a mirror will so they leave everything to their spouse um and obviously when you get a divorce I'm sure you wouldn't want to have that same provision in place um so I, I encourage um my clients to do that as soon as they as soon as they get divorced mm. um, so that's very important um, and another thing that people don't really think about as well is if you own a property jointly with your spouse, more more people than not own it as joint tenants, which means that you own it 50-50 in equal shares. Um, but if one of you were to predecease the other whilst the proceedings were, were um, going ahead, um, then basically their 50% share would automatically vest in the other person which again is probably not what you would want to happen. So to protect your 50% share, um, you would want to sever that tenancy. So your tenants in common rather than joint tenants. So you can at least seek to preserve some of that um, 
you know, pot on mm. of the, of the family home. But again, to, to what extent that will be protected will depend on, on the needs as well. Um, and that's another, that's a whole other issue. If yeah. Was, I during divorce proceedings, you probably wouldn't even think about. No, I wouldn't even think about that. And that's, again, the benefits of having a family law solicitor above just going online and thinking, right, I'll buy this. Because all of this information, you know, you wouldn't get told. And then, you know, God forbid you did pass away. You know, your partner's going to be getting well, ex-partners going to be getting a lot, really, aren't they? And and I imagine, like you said, that isn't something that you'd want at that time. So, no. and and sometimes I do I, I do have um, clients where the other party, for example, has a terminal illness, and they say, you know, is it even worth going through this process? And sometimes they may say, well, actually, given they've only got X number of months, and it's hor- it's horrible to even talk about it, but yeah, it's you have to think about okay you're, you're going through this process perhaps sort out your will arrangements try and reach an agreement with them first um rather than going through the divorce process because who knows if they'll even survive past that point mm. um so those are all practical things that, as you say google can't tell you um and s- sometimes the, the re- reliability of those sources isn't great you don't know who's writing them mm. um, and they're not up to date some of them the laws change don't they and you know it's uh, making sure they're up to date as well. And when you actually speak to someone, you've got that contact there and, you know, you're in good hands then. You know you're going to get everything discussed and everything covered and they're going to be aware of everything. So that's that's great. No, that's really interesting. That I've, I've enjoyed recording that with you today. So thank you so much. Um, could you... Could you just tell people again where they can find you if they want more information on this subject, if that's okay? Yes. So uh, we have offices in Horsham, Hayward Heath and Crawley. I'm based in Horsham. Uh, So if you'd like to find out more, then please go on our website. It's mancinilegal.com. And as part of the department, I offer free 30 minute consultations for all new clients. Um, So, yeah please get in touch if you do need some advice. That's brilliant. It's nice for people to be able to know who they're talking to as well. So it's been great having you on here and thanks so much for being so helpful. Um, I'm sure that'll answer a lot of questions. I get these things in my head where I just have to ask them and I think we've covered a lot there. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to My Bump to Babies Expert Podcast. If you would like to find help and support from experts in your local area, head over to www.mybumptobaby.com and you will also be able to find local pregnancy to preschool groups, classes, businesses and services in your local area. Wondering what's on in your local area? Come and join our weekly newsletter where we share the classes and groups that are on in your local area. From pregnancy to preschool, we have you covered. Click the link below this podcast to receive your newsletter each week, every Sunday, so you know what's on and you can plan your week ahead.